irony-fueled comedy. Laughs earned by countering expectations. It's been around since Ook announced he was going to wash Huga, but then lit him on fire instead. <laughs> and you can hear from this wacky ditty, ironic comedy music has been around for just as long. This is Homer and Jethro with Does Anybody Here Play the Piano? In this side-splitting song from 1963, the guys announce that they need a piano player. But, you hear that piano playing? <laughs> the ironing had crowds in stitches. Hilarious. Homer and Jethro, the original ROTFL. Man. <laughs> Hilarious ironic music has not stopped. And in the age of the internet and home recording, it has exploded. With so much comedy music in the ether, with so many ugly nerds trying to recreate the music of hunky geniuses, every now and then, a song meant to be hilariously unexpected comment of a more serious song flies closer to legitimacy than the artist may have intended. And it's kind of awesome. Today's genre is called ironic dynamite. <laughs> Beyond Yacht Rock, great genres. We shove songs into those genres and count down the songs. We my name sure is, do. My name is J.D. Riznar. I'm Hollywood Steve. I'm Dave. Hunter. And today's genre is called Ironic Dynamite. I'll talk about that in a minute. But first, Steve, you're gonna, we created the term Yacht Rock, so Steve's going to throw a bone to the Yacht Rock genre. What do we have here, Steve? Well, remember back in Yacht and Yacht Volume 60 where we talked about Daft Punk's Fragments of Time, and I had a whole... I got really passionate about it, and I wrote a whole big, long thing presenting my case as to why it's you, Yacht Rock. You did? Yeah, I did. Weird. I, I don't remember that. I don't either. I sure do. Because you talked me out of presenting a long case because you just wanted to get through the episode. <laughs> that doesn't sound like, like anything that's ever like, you know, only you know, only about half the audience listens to the minisodes. Why don't you save this for a bone throw? <laughs> so it's time to pay the piper, gentlemen. Well, hold on, hold on a second, Steve. Uh, no. Hold on. Maybe we should save this for our end of show spectacular, episode 100. Yeah. What do you think? I, don't I think ever, that's a great I don't think idea. We're ever gonna get there. You know what? I think that we should save it for. For the next run, mm -hmm. episode oh. 101. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, the big episode. What yeah, we could Steve? call it Hollywood the Steve. Comeback, right? Yeah, the yeah. big comeback. Yeah, big comeback. <laughs> Hollywood get, Steve 101. Yep. We'll give you the number one shows in this in the series now. It'll be all whole, your show. You can do the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think, well, Steve? That sounds great, but uh, I'm going to talk about Daft Punk's Fragments of Time on my last bone throw. We did try. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. We already, spoiler, we already decided that this was a Yacht Rock song. Uh, <laughs> but here's my case for why it is for anybody who didn't listen to that episode or wants to hear more about Daft Punk's Fragments of Time, a fascinating Yacht Rock song from the modern era. Good start. Here we go. This podcast is just getting fun. You really want to stop at 100? This. No, I don't. Good. Maybe we'll keep going. I don't fucking know. This is this is from. Well, uh, you blew it on 101, Steve. <laughs> yeah, now we have nothing to talk about for 101. <laughs> we had something, and you sacrificed it. I did. It's it's all for it's all for my own personal glory. Yeah. So uh, was if, it uh, worth it? Was it worth it? I don't know. I'm gonna all right. Well, let's get it. Let's get into this genre. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. This is from the 2011 album Random Access Memories. And this particular track, Fragments of Time, 
is a collaboration with co-producer and singer Todd Edwards, who previously worked with Daft Punk on the track Face to Face, which was a number one hit on the dance chart, and for my money is the best song on Discovery, which for my money is their best album. Uh, Todd's production style is known for taking tiny little sample snippets and assembling them together like an intricate mosaic, which is part of a larger dance music subgenre called Micro House, I think, as far as I can tell. Yeah. I don't know dance music. It's also a movement well. in uh, hipster home building. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine oh. bought a 600 square foot home and he's six foot four. <laughs> dumb. <laughs> Bet he feels like a sucker. A lot of outdoor living space in Southern <laughs> California. Yeah, so. uh, yeah. Uh, Todd uses his micro house technique again here on the part of the song that Daft Punk decided should be the chorus because it was the most electronic bit that he recorded for them. But unlike Daft Punk's other records, most of this album, including this track, relies on modern-day session musicians. That's right. This was largely recorded in Los Angeles. They were consciously trying to evoke the late 70s and early 80s. They wanted a, quote, West Coast vibe and named some of the album's influences as Fleetwood Mac, the Doobie Brothers, the Eagles, Michael Jackson, and Steely Dan. Yeah, it sounds, that sounds like somebody who doesn't know what Yacht Rock is right there. It sounds, like, of- it sounds like somebody who's going to end up about 60% Yacht, which is, I think, about where we put this song. Um, their electronic instrumentation was limited to some vocoders and a drum machine. They also had a live session drummer, too. And they had their own custom-built, vintage-style modular synthesizer. Like, they literally built a synth from scratch that would sound appropriate to the era. I gotta say, there's nothing wrong with drum machines in Yacht Rock. Steely Dan used one on Gaucho because Donald Fagan loved the precision. Mm-hmm. And synthesizers are fair game, too, especially in the Hold the Line with Steve Piccaro programming the shit out of them he in He programmed the shit out of everything. Yep. Drum machines. Hey, can we get back to this idea of micro house real yeah, quick? Yeah. So my friend's got this 600 square foot house, mm-hmm. and it's a great place. It's really well done. Excellent use of space. But he has two friends in town right now. You know where they're staying? Hey, your, your, your house. Yeah, your, macro, house. <laughs> your macro house. <laughs> so I kind of think maybe this micro house thing might be a, a load of shit. Somebody sent me a micro house and said, I'm thinking about this. And I just ripped into him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How much did that micro house cost? It's like seventy thousand dollars. That's not so bad. That is. Oh, I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to start ranting again. If where, it's in this town, where is it? It doesn't matter. <laughs> no, What's the address? Don't you know live like that. You know if you're going to live like that, move somewhere else and get a better job. Do something else. Don't live like that. That is not how you want to live. Just to say you're in California. Oh. <laughs> All right, so Daft Punk, huh? I researched the personnel on this track because it's modern-day yacht. So you're thinking, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking 2011, there's no way there's anyone relevant in this day and age on this this track. It's like you're inside my head. Exactly, but I've known you for so long, I can't help but think like you. So long. So on guitar, we have Paul Jackson Jr., who played on Thriller and Bad and Dangerous, not to mention the David Foster-produced Chicago 17, on bass, we have Nathan East, who was the touring bassist for Toto from 2010 to 2014. Never heard of him. Never mentioned him ever. He's a very important late era yacht rocker, Hunter. Oh, I'm sorry. You gotta hit your memory a little oh. bit harder. And there's also a second bassist named James Genus, I think. Two bassists. Studio credits are his. His are mostly jazz, but he also plays with the Saturday Night Live band. I think they refer to that as double bass. 
Does it have eight strings? DB. Like that, like that guy who jumped out of the plane with the money? No. DB basis? Du- double basitration. <laughs> double basitration. <laughs> Lots to think about there. Uh, that's, so anyway, uh, that, that session drummer I mentioned previously is Omar Hakim. No big yacht connections, but he played on David Bowie's Let's Dance album, hmm. plus Dire Straits' Brothers in Arms and Sting's Dream of the Blue Turtles. He enjoys also. sandwiches for lunch and oh, yeah. uh, and, and hikes. I mean, yep. who doesn't? Out to ha- his favorite hammock spot in the mm-hmm. Adirondacks. He also played with a bunch of jazz guys, including Miles Davis, George Benson, David Sanborn, and Lee Rittenauer. And he taught himself to program drum machines so that he could continue to have a session career in the 90s. And, in true Yacht Rock fashion, this song also has an extra percussionist, except instead of getting Paulinho da Costa, they just got some dude who goes by the name Quinn. That's it. It was, it was hard to look him up. Uh, Daft Punk did not play their old-school synth on this track. The only instrument credited is keyboards, and some of those little seagull-sounding bits you can hear in there are not actually a keyboard. It's a treated pedal steel guitar Played by Greg. There's a, like eight different ways I can think of to pronounce this last. All right, right. My guess, one. My my guess is go. <laughs> one. Lice. Liaise. Lass. Leets. Leish. There's like three That's different sex. sounds. Lies. It's it's L E I S Z. For those of you following along at home. Lace? Lace? Okay, I'll go with eight. That was okay. Greg, Greg, whatever his name, Greg's going to be so pissed when he hears this episode. (laughs) No, because we definitely got his name right somewhere in there. Right? He'd be like, finally. We probably missed it. I finally got it right. Uh, It's it's funny because he actually uh, pronounces his first name Grog. (laughs) (laughs) Grog has an ass ton of credits, including Katie Lang, Matthew Sweet, Beck, and minimalist jazz guitarist Bill Frizzell. So what's, what this is all leading up to is it's hard to do much better in 2011 than assembling a group made up of this personnel. This is about as good of a Yacht Rock group as you can get together. And to bolster my case for why this is Yacht Rock that we've already decided, uh, let's look at the external success. Yacht Rock's <laughs> ultimate goal is to make hits and win Grammys. Now, guys, I know you're laughing, but remember, Steve just pasted this from the document where he had to argue that this was a Yacht Rock song into this. Yeah, I'm not going to redo you're... all this. <laughs> That's why he's still arguing. Yeah, okay, when, you, when you strike gold, you don't keep digging. I'm also arguing for all the people out there who have not listened to the mini-sode and need to understand why this modern Yacht Rock song is actually a Yacht Rock song. Like me! Exactly, because you don't listen to the mini-sodes. Because you don't care about Yacht Rock. Well, I, like oh, I didn't say you don't care about yeah, it. Yeah, I just don't like it. Yeah, you don't like it. It's weird to care about something you don't like, but there it is. Well, there's aspects I enjoy. I mean, it becomes convenient every now and again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this song was not a hit as a single, but the album... Spent two weeks at number one, and it won three Grammy Awards, including Album of the Year. So there's your <laughs> fucking case, bitch. Okay, I'll give it a thousand. Then, hey, a shout-out plus a recommendation to go read the piece on Hold on, Captain's Co- blog. By- Counterpoint. <laughs> Let's, hold on. 
Hunter's licking an imaginary pencil. I got nothing. Okay. Okay. Let's go. Uh, so there's a piece on the Captain's blog by at Yacht Rock Bot that mentions a very strong argument about how the entire Random Access Memories album is a genius late era Yacht Rock. So go check that out on Captain's blog, yachtrock.com. All right. You guys want to talk about the genre I came up with? Yeah. Ah, regular ironic comedy music. Listen to this sweet song by Garfunkel and Oates. I bet you think it's about something nice and sweet. Wrong! It's called Pregnant Women Are Smug. Took a left turn. Garfunkel and Oates are mean to pregnant women with the lyrics in this song. They went there. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm laughing hard because I thought this would be like a lullaby. Nope. The lyrics are biting, and the singing sounds like someone is trying. So, do you want a boy or a girl? Oh, it doesn't matter as long as it's healthy. <laughs> really? Because the way they sing. Those two things are related at all. It's not like one or the other. No, I mean, no, the, no, no, there's jokes in the middle. It's, it's hard to listen to this song. I can't wait to hear they, they sing like somebody trying to get a laugh. Mm-hmm. So this is the epitome of what today's genre is not. This is not ironic dynamite. The jokes in this song are pretty good, but I loathe this style of regular ironic comedy music. It makes me feel empathetically embarrassed. This music cannot be enjoyed as music. It can be laughed at mm-hmm. with. Oh, is it a boy or a girl? Oh. <sighs> and you have to talk over their talking. I don't want to listen to it anymore. But no one's, no one's jamming out to Garfunkel and Oates with their, in their winky-winky singing style. Were you at the, the party where they played? Of course opening? they played in your backyard. Yeah, it's, it was very Who funny. else played in your backyard, Dave? Um, no one here. They're funny. They're, yeah, they're yeah that's my point. They're yeah. very funny. They're not rocking. They're not the genre. I'll see them do a tight five, mm-hmm. but I won't. I won't blast their album out of my Camaro. Yeah, their their show was not without its charm. Cameo by John Oates playing a pornographer. Ooh, mm-hmm. I heard cameo and mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> word went, up. Then it went south after that. Yeah. Right, today's genre is ironic dynamite. It's ironic songs that nail a musical style so well, or make such a cogent observation or sentiment. You can almost, almost forget the songs were meant to be funny. They blow up the irony. That's why I call it dynamite. Also, because dynamite is cool to say. Absolutely. So Tenacious D will not make the countdown today. <gasps> what? And this song of theirs, Wonder Boy, is a good example of why. Oh, well, it's okay. They're still a good band, Hunter. I, I think Hunter's going on a fart walk. Oh, okay. Well, the ironic comedy appeal of the D is their sincerity. It's two goofball nerds truly doing their best to be rock gods. Therefore, Jack Black never sings in a winky-winky comedy voice, as he and Kyle Gass's voices are legit great, and their musicianship is super good, and they embrace it rather than undermining it by underlining the jokes. But here's the issue with the D. Every song sounds like a tenacious D song. Their characters have points of view, and they stick to it, never diving into actual sincerity or biting another genre so hard that the song loses the iconic soul of, tina- of Tenacious D, of a Tenacious D song, the ironic iconic soul of a Tenacious D song. So Wonder Boy has some ironic sincerity to it, and it's a legit good song, but no other band could do this song but Tenacious D. Therefore, their irony is not blown up by ironic dynamite. The irony of Tenacious D always remains intact. I feel like I've said that a thousand times now. This is the foundation of their sound, and that sound is singular. I'm just, yeah, I'm just driving home points here. Mm-hmm. Fucking driving in the nails. And though I, 
And I thought like these guys in Ween would be gold mines for this genre, but upon reviewing their catalogs, I was wrong. No. So in conclusion, for ironic, Good point, Dave. thank you. For ironic dynamite, we're looking. Both bands have chops. We're looking for two kinds of songs: songs by satirists nailing a style they're satirizing so well that the humor almost disappears, or wackadoodle performers erasing the usual ironic distance they bring to their music to create something authentic and sincere. So there's going to be a lot of that guy who plays the piano and sings songs about Congress? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Mark Russell? Yeah, yeah. A lot of that guy. His cogent observations. Oh, I bet the capital steps are going to be out here, too. The capital two steps. You might laugh a couple times at their songs, but when he gets into his Trump material, not funny anymore. No. All right. Any more? You have any other questions about this genre? All right, questions are welcome throughout. Let's do a countdown. Did you slip into a little... Uh... This one's called Osiris' Birthday. That's the way you do a bumper. Mm-hmm. Remind me, I gotta open this guy's email. I forgot to paste it into here. He's got a whole story behind these bumpers. Well, so, no, we'll have you open it after the show. Yeah. Uh, the Beards. The Beards. They're a comedy band out of Australia that knows how to stick to a no. bit. They all have beards. This guy <laughs> This guy in Australia now, am I right? I yeah. love Australia just now. Keep putting it in, <laughs> no, in, in I, every I'll, show I'll now. Put, I'll put an Australian band anywhere. From 2005 to 2016, they released four albums. The Beards, 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 Having a Beard is the New Not Having a Beard, and The Beard Album. And every single song on those albums is about beards, like growing a beard, if your dad doesn't have a beard, you've got two mums, touch me in the beard. To this one, you should consider having sex with a bearded man. The Beards' outward musical style is similar to Tenacious D's, a lot of acoustic guitar stuff, the ironic swagger, etc. But the Beards' signature is lyrics, specifically ironically sincere lyrics about Beards. You would never hear a new song by the Beards without lyrics and go, oh, that's a Beards song, because you didn't hear the lyrics Hmm. about Beards. I I just want to point out, uh, I hadn't heard this song yet, and I'm having a rocking good time It's right a now. good time, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I mean... I'm having a good time because they're having a good time. Yeah, they're, they're, they've, they open the door. To, they've created music that makes it easy for them to walk into the pantheon of ironic dynamite. Mm-hmm. The, the keyboard on this is great. Yeah. Bam, bam. That... Well, it does. I mean, this song does a really, really good job of mimicking the boilerplate, low-budget '80s arena rock style that was kind of churned out ad nauseum in the in the arena rock's golden era. But if you don't listen closely to the words, you may be transported into that world. I think, Hunter. I think you are. I have no know, idea what they're saying. Yeah, I don't speak Australian. You're just loving the song. It's just all mishmash and kangaroo and yeah, and Wallaby, Wallaby and Fosters yeah. and Map of Taz. That's all I hear. Um. The message of the song that listeners should consider having sex with a bearded man is approached with such sincerity as one, with as much sincerity as one can muster in such a song. 
Right, like if you're a bearded man, you could literally, you could unironically adopt this as your sex anthem, or like this is what you could listen to to get pumped up to go out for a night on the town trying to pick up some ladies. Yeah, it would work great. And you could send them this song after you meet them at the bar. Like, mm-hmm. hey, what want to go out sometime? Here's what our first date might be like. This is what Check our current date is like. Yeah, and continue oh, yeah, to be. you know, whatever. Yeah. However fast you want to move. Um, I like how you uh, just. The way you threw out sex anthem there, you just sort of took the position of, of course, everybody has a sex anthem. You don't have a sex anthem? I do have a sex of anthem. Of course and you have that's a sex anthem. Why. That's why. Yeah, it's happy birthday. Boy, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I must suck to not have your sex anthem in the public domain. Hey, fun fact. Fun fact. This song was nominated for the Australian APRA AMCO Song of the Year which is a music rights organization like our ASCAP or BMI. You know all them songwriters? They give money to the songwriters. They collect mm-hmm. them all and distribute the royalties. What an award. It, it, won, it was nominated for Song of the Year. Unfortunate, but it lost to Gautier, someone I used to know. That was the Australian, you know, it was an Australian award. Usually, usually huh. those, if those songwriting organizations try to give you an award, it means that a bunch of people listened to your song and it got a lot of airplay. Yeah, that's pretty so this cool. This must have been a decently big hit. That's pretty cool. When did this come out? Like 2000, between 2006 and 2018 or so. Awesome. So yeah, there's some, uh, like, I hear some Survivor, I hear some um, uh, Loverboy. This is these guys are jamming. I yeah, I, I feel like it's it sounds like a Camaro summer song, except sung by handsome Dick Valentine from Electric Six. Yeah, Electric Six could have been in this spot. They they sort of live in the same universe as, as the Beards, but their their overall persona isn't quite as ironic. And also, um, there's a band called Sex Ninja Party that has a pretty cool song called uh, like First Date or something like that, or on a da- I don't know, but it's uh that's a funny one too that could have gone here anyway. There's a couple digs against making this great ironic dynamite. First, there's some uh, there's some wackiness, especially uh, uh, there's some wacky bridge stuff where he has like a wacky monologue. But it's not they don't underline the jokes too much. Also, sometimes you can hear the poor production quality in this genre satire music. That's the case here. They do a pretty good job recreating the 30-year-old arena rock sound, but just a little off. And finally, the song is hilarious. And you'll find that most song in the countdown today are not. Is that from the Warriors? So, it's, I think it, I think it sounds like he wrote his own Uriah Heap song, except it's like you know, an original composition. Cyrus's birthday. Is the, the, I, I'll get you guys a story at the end of the show. Wait, you're hearing Cyrus? I thought I heard Osiris. Oh, it's definitely Osiris, but but he was it's the guy from the Warriors, but Irish. Yeah, the first one was Cyrus's birthday, and then they said, oh, Cyrus. No, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> Coming in at number nine, the David Lyons brand punk rock slot is hey. the Dead Milkman with the Conspiracy Song. The Dead Milkman have been around since 1983, providing lighter fare to greasy teen rebels and anarchists. They hit the scene with songs like Bitchin' Camaro and Taking Retards to the Zoo. Their vocals are very, very wacky sounding, winking all the way. 
Their sound was also a little lighter and janglier than that of a lot of punk, as it can be heard in their crossover hit Punk Rock Girl, which could be a sincere love song, were it not for the goofy vocal style, which is just oozing with irony. Almost everything the Dead Milkman sings sounds like, I'm actually too cool for this subject matter, so I'm going to make fun of it. Yeah. That's a lot of punk rock, though, isn't it, Dave? Yeah. But this, I, these guys are, I'm right, these guys are a little funnier for a rock and roll band, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah like you get you get crossover between the punk rock fans and, and the Weird Al teenagers looking for something a little bit harder. It's, <laughs> it's because most punk rockers, they, they, most of the time they spend their time going, yeah. I'm so big. Oh, yeah. look at me. I'm a big punk rocker. And these guys uh. these guys bottled it. And they turned it into yeah. a... Yeah, the, the, a the big thing about punk is uh, who did it first. Like the joke, how many punks does it take to screw in a light bulb? Uh, 99 to do it and one to say he did it first. Mm-hmm. Or wait, one to do it, 99 to say that. Anyway, yeah. you get the point. Yeah. yeah. I got a, I got a couple of de- fun Dead Milkman Just facts about me. Uh, the Dead uh, the Dead Milkman album with Punk Rock Girl. It was called Beelzebubba. Mm-hmm. That was the first full length album I ever bought with my own money. Ooh. I bought it on tape. Because that's when it came out in the tape era. Mm-hmm. I got another fun fact. I talked my family into naming our dog Epi Sue after a character in a wacky, unlisted, talkternative-ish track at the end of Metaphysical Graffiti. Ah, the album after Beelzebubba. Very nice. I had all these tapes, but they were like recorded from my friends' tapes. Oh, yeah. I had a bunch of those. But these I all, I, I've all oh. bought myself. Bleach Boys was a favorite oh, of mine. That's a good one. This is a hilarious names to albums. Yeah. No, Bleach Boys is a song on Beelzebub. Oh, it's about it's hilarious bleach. Don't you want to hang out with the Bleach Boys, baby? Albums. Bleach uh, keeps you young, so I've been told, because no one who drinks it lives to get old. You don't know that yeah. one? Good line. Yeah. And, I mean, all their, they're, they're obviously a joke band. Their, their name came from, you know, the Dead Kennedys was the, the hardcore political band, and they're right. the Dead Milkmen, and, like, albums like Beezle Bubba and Metaphysical Graffiti. Making fun of Led Zeppelin and that Hilarious. second one there. Yeah. Full of jokes. Big lizard in my backyard. Yeah. They're also the reason I listened uh, to Mojo Nixon. Yes, that's how I also discovered Mojo Nixon. Mm-hmm. Not a punk rock girl, right? Yeah. I remember that part. If you don't got Mojo Nixon, you your store, store could use, use some fixing. fixing. Yeah. Um, Mojo Nixon's good too. Yeah. If you like this sort of thing. These guys, they even do, they don't just do punk rock either, they do some genre satirization with like their song Instant Club Hit, you, You'll Dance to Anything. That's a good song. And while, I mean, it's a very it's a very biting satire uh, of club music, but I would, I'd never mistake it for a club hit if I heard it. No, no, song, no, you wouldn't do that. And you know, honestly, that would be another, it'd be, that'd be a good genre, it's like comedy songs that... That that are about how easy it is to make a hit song that don't even come close to sounding like a hit song. <laughs> no, it's so easy to write a hit song. Here I am singing a hit song. No, you're not. That's really hard to do. Ask Diane yeah, if, Warren. If, ever, if anyone could write an earworm, then there'd be a whole lot of people making a whole lot of money. Yeah. But now yeah. it's pretty much just Max Martin. Um, so I chose this song for the genre because it sounds like a pretty straightforward punk song. Conspiracy song. It was released in 92 during the Milkman's sellout big record label days on Hollywood Records. That's when they got boring. Uh, this song is about conspiratorial delusions, which is pretty much the basic lyrical element of regular punk rock, in my opinion, from my observations. Uh, this is a little more over the top with the delusion, 
but that punk singing is so spot-on garbled and non-winky, one has a very hard time finding the irony. The irony has been blown up, boys, so to speak. Ironic dynamite. You starting to understand it now? I do. I do. Can't act like a teenager forever. Mm-mm. And I also think that's why Tenacious D doesn't fit, because they're not really ironic. They believe in everything they're singing. They're the. Their entire being is ironic, but they never leave that. Right. They never leave that sphere. They still do the work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They do the heavy lifting. Number eight. All right, this is what Tenacious D never does. This is Flight of the Concords. This sort of New Zealand's Tenacious D in that they are two men who write funny songs and they're from New Zealand. But the Concords, <laughs> <laughs> they're really good. And they had a show on HBO. Yes, yes. Wait, hold on, J.D. Let me get this straight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're New Zealand's Tenacious D. Mm-hmm. They're two men. They write funny songs. <laughs> Where are they from? New Zealand. Now I get it. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Uh, so they're really good at like a wide range of genre satire, usually using cocksure musical styles to tell tales of self-conscious men, but all you, you, like with a good deal of performative winking. Like Bowie's in Space, their David Bowie satire sounds a hell of a lot like an actual Bowie song, but only if Bowie was a Saturday Night Live sketch of himself. This song, Fashion is Danger, is an example of a satire that gets the style it's making fun of so right, it almost isn't funny. An industrial pop song about fashion seems pretty natural. There's not a lot here to distinguish a Depeche Mode fashion song, say, from one imagining what that song might sound like, which is what these guys are doing. There's a couple winks, like Jermaine shouting jazzercise in a wacky way, but for the most part, it's just a boring song about fashion. And we just, we just heard a part in the song where they list fashion capitals without any irony, other than, like, they throw in Wellington, New Zealand. I think that it's like a, like a joke, you know, for sure. New Zealanders out right. there that don't... For, uh, the, yeah. The town is stupid. Folks in the know. Um, and, you know, this is also a departure from the default Flight of the Concord sound, which is kind of more of a, a general folk comedy thing. Hey, you want to know a fun fact about Depeche Mode? Sure. Uh, It's French for fast fashion. Thank you so much. Good reference. Hmm. The fun in this song comes when you see these two sad sack hipster losers perform the style. The style that's usually reserved for artsy, good-looking, fancy pantses. But when you don't get to see the music video in the context of their show where the irony is clear when you see it, but here, we get no show. We're just hearing a song about fashion. The irony is blown up. Ironic dynamite! I get it. Number seven. The darkness. Love is only a feeling. First, we have to argue about whether or not the darkness is ironic, boys. Well, I think uh, they're ironic about hair metal the way that Yacht Rock, the show, is ironic about Yacht Rock. Like, we think this stuff is awesome, but we also know what the popular perception of it is. So in order to get people to like it, we have to trick them with comedy until they've listened enough to realize that, oh, hey, this is actually pretty awesome. Yeah, and I think, uh, to jump on Steve's point, much like Yacht Rock, you don't put that kind of time and commitment into something 
if you're straight up mocking it. You know, they may be tongue-in-cheek, but they know what they're doing and they love it. I don't think they're mocking it, but I think they're a caricature of music's past. Yeah, straight up mocking it would be like Steel Panther. They just, yeah, or and even them. They, they it's have kind pretty, of, it's yeah, kind of like, like, hey, we know this stuff is ridiculous, but we love it and we're going to do it, acknowledging that it's ridiculous, but we're also going to do it. We're also going to do all that stuff sincerely and on purpose. And and they probably base a lot of their personas and image on other rockers that they they, they all picked their yeah you look their at vision board of, mm-hmm. of stuff. And they look like a hair metal village people. The darkness. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I was walking across the Paramount back lot one day and I heard the song I believe in a thing called Love playing like through a PA. I'm like, the fuck's going on? And I uh, rounded the corner, and there were like 300 people in the middle of the town square, <laughs> and the dude from the darkness on top of a guitar, uh, on top of a car, singing. Uh, they were doing some Super Bowl commercial, and it made me so fucking happy. I love Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. You see, but it, there is something to be said about when it was happening non-ironically. That is awesome, and then when it happens, totally like knowing that they're just doing something awesome because it, yeah. it happened it was awesome before I'm just doing it again my wife walked down the aisle to um, I believe in a thing called love not because she thought it was funny because she thought it was fucking awesome I'm just saying it's not as good as the original because they'll never be embarrassed for what they were doing but all those guys who were doing it at the time you know they're a little bit embarrassed that yeah they were just going all out to get laid and have a good time and make like the music that made money back then that's mm-hmm. that's really cool yeah. and it's cool to see people try it again and, and, have, say, and have fun with it steel panther almost also almost made the countdown they're usually just like a cover band a heavy metal cover band that plays in the sunset strip every week but they came out with an album or two of original songs and they're pretty good they're pretty good, they're they're pretty good. that sound but it's almost so boring. It's so straight on. Yeah. It's like not that much fun. And they're not like really funny to begin with other than their... Yeah, like one of their songs was Death to All But Metal. Yeah. And like, people misunderstood it like Death to All But Metal. And that's like their big... <laughs> that's the joke of the okay, song. Yeah. And it's just kind of like, all right, yeah, guys. Cool. Um, so these guys... Yeah, so the Darkness were really unexpected is a band... It's like a, it's like a, a new band making awesome hair metal in 2003... When their debut album came out, and at that time, like lo-fi aught garage bands like White Stripes and The Strokes were in fashion. So, like the pure act of unapology, unapologetically rocking out with your cock out was really, really ironic. And Darkness doesn't tell jokes; it's not satire. It's totally real rock and roll, down to their lead singer's drug problems. So, I'd argue that Darkness is ironic simply because they rock super hard and well in a really fun way when no one else even thought to do it. I, I was sad that they didn't wait a few albums to develop the drug problems. Like, normally you're supposed to get, like, three or four albums into a career before the drugs produce a noticeable quality dip in your output. Yeah. They, they, Justin Hawkins didn't wait. It was, like, after the first album, like, let's go. Mm-hmm. He was done. All the drugs. You know, you know who's me. You know who is a non-ironic version of this? Mm. Buck Cherry. <laughs> Is Buck Cherry of this era, sort of? They're earlier. They were Slightly late 90s. Before, but I mean, it was like same. But yeah, they like with the neck tattoos and the scarves and the the cocaine. Trying to play on the Sunset, sunset strip, strip. Yeah, like, they just had no friends. <laughs> they were the only ones. 
I didn't like Buck Cherry nearly as much as the darkness. No, oh, Buck Cherry they, was it was clear they were just trying to to do this were, thing. Yeah, but they were like they were like we are earnestly going to make this music and we're going to make it popular again. People are going to yeah. come in arenas and see his darkness are just like look at I'm doing a thing. I'm yeah. With the guitar. You know, uh, the lead singer, what's his name, of Darkness? Justin Hawkins. Yeah, he's going to dress like the album cover of Stunt Rock, like in a big jumpsuit, like with his arms out. But the guy in Buck Cherry is going to take himself seriously and, like, maybe check out what uh, uh, Stephen, what's his name, Stephen Aerosmith is doing, Stephen Tyler's doing. (laughs) You should just stop to Stephen Aerosmith. (laughs) Yeah. Be like, oh, yeah, that's a good good idea. I'm going to do that, but I'm going to have, like, a more modern haircut. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Alright, if one were to argue that the darkness is an ironic band, part of that argument would be that their irony is rooted in the over the top is how is it's in how over the top they can be. Louder guitars, higher falsetto screeching, painful dad joke titles. A song like Love on the Rocks with No Ice is silly in the context of a hair metal band of the uh, out of their era, but in the sixties or seventies the song might have made an unironic splash for a kid like Tony Bennett or Neil Diamond. Are these guys British? Yes. Okay. I so thought they, they were like Norwegian. No, they're British and they're huge. So they I, were huge in Britain. I think they have another element to them besides being like Sunset Strip hair metal is that they're they're also having fun like Glam originally did. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those were those guys were just guys good looking for a good time, having fun, not taking their music that too too seriously. But they're kind of taking this song a little bit seriously. Love is only a feeling kind of blows up the band's irony with ironic dynamite. It's true. It's a good song. Uh, it's very sincere. It's a very sincere love song. It's got a little bit of irony with like the kind of the silly title. It's kind of like a mind-bending silly though. And slightly overwritten lyrics like the state of elation this unison of hearts has achieved. It seems like they're trying to, to do lyrical laps around Def Leppard. Which is really easy to do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but unlike their smash hit, I believe in a thing called love, love is only a feeling presents as a very sweet, very normal love song that made it to number five on the UK charts. Yeah, it does, the chorus doesn't sound like Gilbert and Sullivan. No, no. And this is a perfectly regular guitar solo. Another song that almost made this spot was Beautiful by Andrew W.K., um, it's another she questionably is beautiful. I- she is beautiful. Yeah. The girl is beautiful. That's a good song. Yeah, it's another questionably ironic hard rock song. A uh, hard rocker going like uncharacteristically sweet. He's got a sweet heart, that Andrew W. K. He really does. Yeah, very emotional fella. Loves very, very. He loves with a childlike naivete that is charming. Singing about Cyrus? I think so. So, this is uh, the Lonely Island with Turtleneck and Chain. It's our old Channel 101 rivals, the Lonely Island. And they sure did win that rivalry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, because they're talented. Yeah. They're very, very good at satirizing pop music, modern pop music. And they took advantage of their spot on Saturday Night Live to get access to the hottest musical talent. So they could really get the stars who gave any pop song top 40 legitimacy. They got T-Pain for I'm on a Boat. 
His voice was omnipresent on the Top 40 radio at that time. It underscores the importance of writing your own songs instead of coming up with all your best ideas based on other people's copyrighted material. Yeah. Motherfuckers. Being funny, too. There's all, well, yeah, there's also that. Wait, who are we mad at right now? Nobody. Who's a motherfucker? Nobody. Those, those, oh. those people with all that talent. Oh, okay. Yeah, Steve's mad at their talent. So for this song, they nailed down Snoop Doggy Dog. He's another distinctive guest rapper who's featured on a ton of top music. This song is called Turtleneck and Chain. It celebrates a fictitious culture where turtlenecks, thin chains, and light beer are the coolest things in the club. Now I know what you're thinking, fellas. That's hilariously ironic because turtlenecks, chains, and light beer are so very uncool. Oh, you're in my head now. But here's the thing. What's declared cool in the clubs is so arbitrary. You can literally list you can list any three things, repeat them ad nauseum over a hot beat, and 95% of the people listening, unaware that the band is funny, might think they're missing out on the turtleneck chain and light beer craze going on in the clubs. I seem to remember a couple of nights when you and I contacted each other and decided to wear turtlenecks out to a function. Yeah. So uh, I'm pretty sure we're responsible for this. Did you go to the club? Uh, we went to... It was a bowling alley. Yeah, bowling alley. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, some of the some of the bowling alleys around here are like the club. They karaoke at the bar there. It's somebody's birthday, I think. I went yeah. to the... Uh, I was once invited to the Guy's Choice Awards, and I wore all black including a black turtleneck and a nice brown blazer over that. I remember you sent me photos of that night. And, and shaved down my beard to a mustache. Mm-hmm. Wait, who who put on the Guy's Choice Awards? Was that a It was Spike like Spike. TV? Yeah, it was okay. Spike. Yeah, of course it was. And I, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you this, fellas. Spike, I was, uh, you know, Snoopy's cousin? Yeah. I was the only one in there that looked like a guy. Yeah. <laughs> That's Everybody right. Everybody else looked like a woman with their jerseys. So... In conclusion, in a world where turtlenecks, chains, and light beer are cool, this song is just a regular pop song. The beat's good, the rhymes are good, it's just a good, fine song. Drop an alien in on the earth, give him a two-week course on ironic comedy music, play this song for him, and he would say, oh good, I was getting sick of ironic comedy music. The Lonely Island makes me chuckle, but sometimes they fly a little too close to the ironic sun and get blown up. By what? Ironic dynamite. Oh, not the sun? Wow. Holy shit. All right, it's my last soundtrack song, so I wanted out—I wanted to pick one that uh, meant a lot to me. I actually confirmed it with Hunter beforehand because I know this is from his favorite movie of all time. This is the Circle Jerks with Coup d'État from the Repo Man soundtrack, one of my favorite movies and hands down my favorite soundtrack of all time. The Dave, majority- I just want you to know that I'm, I was going to judge you on which song you picked. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, yeah, good one. There's not a lot of bad songs on there. There's not, but there are, but there is a wide yeah. variety. Well, this is a culmination of a lot of things. This song this is, is in also... that porno movie that hunters like so much. Yeah, that was a late, a late joke, everybody. Oh, late, of, late joke. Because it's my favorite movie. Yeah, <laughs> late joke. I thought of it a couple seconds too late, and then I thought, yeah, I'm gonna wait like a minute. Yeah, just go with it anyway. 
Hey, is this song... Is this and then a punk call rock attention s- to it. Is this a punk rock song about a conspiracy? Eh, you can say that. Hmm. Uh, the majority of the soundtrack was made up of L.A.-based punk bands, including these fellas. Uh, the Circle Turks are fronted by L.A. punk icon Keith Morris after he left Black Flag. I just finished his autobiography, uh, and in addition to it leading to me getting on a guest list for a Ween concert in Portland a few months ago. Oh, my. It was, a, yeah, it was just a weird, but it was a fascinating read. And it turns out everybody kind of hates Greg Ginn from Black Flag. And Keith Morris is still a working class punk trying to make ends meet. And I've brought this up before with you guys, but it never ceases to amaze me that you can see people on TV. You listen to people that were in, like, Keith Morris that were in two massively influential bands, three now if you consider off and realize they barely get by and explains why recognizable actors turn up working at Trader Joe's only to be shamed by people on Twitter. Oh, man. And why everybody I, in, in my hometown thinks I'm a millionaire just because exactly. I've history. Yeah. Make 700 bucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, 700 more than I that's, got. That's not, even, that's not even SAG. It's like an interview fee. Minimum. Ah, that's where they get you. Yeah. Hey, at you least got free you, booze. At least you got it. No, you got to buy, yeah, your, you own buy your own booze. Oh, my, they can't. They can't be liable. I talked to Derek about this. They can't be liable for buying you booze. You got to buy it yourself. Mm-hmm. Did you get free booze? Um, what, did you be, Did you treat yourself at least? Buy some good stuff? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 right, well, yeah. yeah. That's something, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, he said, hey, Dave, can we use your house? And then he kicked me out. <laughs> Uh, the Circle Jerks had two songs on the soundtrack and also appeared in the film. There were the house band on stage when Otto says, I can't believe I used to like these guys. Uh, the scenes were filmed, Hunter, you'll dig this, at the Silver Lake Lounge, if you're into film locations. Uh, that's not the only cameo in the movie. Turns out one of the agents was pay- played by none other than James Buffett, which has me greatly conflicted at my core. Was the agent a villain? Probably. Probably a dumb villain. I don't remember which agent he was. Uh, Alex Cox wrote Repo Man right out of film school and set out to get it funded. He was hoping to come up with 70 grand, but ended up receiving $1 million. You can't do shit for that today, but it was a healthy budget in 84. He went to UCLA. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, but it wasn't like he went to USC. Yeah, the interesting thing about UCLA is that was the arts, the arty uh, film school of Mm -hmm. LA. Yeah, that's where you can get. That's where John Holmes went. Um, even though it only had a Chicago release initially, the cult status it garnered led it to doing rather well at the box office, netting four million, which is a pretty good return. Uh, most of the soundtrack was made up of uh, local LA-based bands that were in the punk scene: Black Flag, The Plugs, doing a Spanish version of Secret Agent Man, Hombre Sacrado, Fear, did uh, Let's Have a War, Suicidal Tendencies, did Institutionalized. And even the score, which I just learned on Saturday, was the first foray into scoring for one Greg Kewen. Who is Greg Kewen, you ask? He's the keyboard player that helped turn TSOL from punk into a more gothic sound. Oh, it was him! It was him! And I'm excited because <laughs> I met him at a backyard party on Saturday because the uh. band that he was there to see, two of his sons were playing in the band, and I had no idea that Fiddler was made up of half of his kids, of the guy from TSOL, and no one in this room is nearly as excited about this as I am. Did you? Did you a lot of name drops. So, the, so, I'm I'm pretty sure that the uh, you know the nerd and Repo Man, mm-hmm. the nerdy guy who gets shoved around and whatever. He ended up becoming the lead singer of the Circle Jerks, Xander Schloss. Xander Schloss. 
and he was uh, guitar, not. Uh, oh, he wasn't singing his guitar. Okay, yeah. well, Keith so Morris always sang. So he, maybe he was. Yeah, he, he wasn't was in the band when the movie came out. You know? No, but they met him doing. Did you say that. this? I didn't no. think you said this. No, but I I know it. Um, oh, okay. Also, uh, Iggy Pop did the title track, and he's from Ann Arbor. Born in Muskegon, but then he hightailed out of there as an yeah, in, like an infant. like every everybody does. Yeah. All right. Guys, I have a sexist statement to say. Oh, oh great. On. Let's hear it. All guys are terrible at taking care of their health. <laughs> it's so true. Uh, he got a knee injury, he got a back injury, or something worse. Have yeah. you guys ever rubbed dirt on it? Which I think means do a silly thing to overcome a medical problem. Like I, uh, I was playing with a sickle in my backyard and uh, fucked up and dug it right into my ankle. <laughs> and like pop it out of there and uh, my ankle got real infected and I just wrapped it with an ace bandage and hobbled around on it until my dad took off the ace bandage and looked like I had a, a couple plums under my skin that's the kind of story we're looking for in this yeah. ad yeah. beautiful thank you yeah had to get some tetanus shots that's called rubbing some dirt on it mm-hmm. hey I have bad hemorrhoids every now and again you know I do do the you know the butt boot scoot that the dogs do <laughs> right right across yeah just take it right across yeah. that mud you rub yourself on some dirt and then you blame it on whomever just rented your Airbnb yeah well listen guys you know whatever the hell thing is the guys don't take care of it the same is true with erectile dysfunction <gasps> studies show seventy percent of guys who experience erectile dysfunction don't get treated for it oh boy thankfully Roman angry. <laughs> Roman that doesn't help at all. Roman created an easy way to get checked out and treated for erectile dysfunction. Roman is a one-stop shop where licensed U.S. physicians can diagnose ED and ship medications right to your door. With Roman, there are no waiting rooms, awkward face-to-face conversations, or uncomfortable trips to the pharmacy. <laughs> but those are the best parts. Yeah. Well, that's okay. We yeah, yeah, you just Skype from the waist down. He's, yeah. <laughs> You can handle everything discreetly online. All you have to do is visit GetRoman.com slash BYR. That's our promo code. Fill out a brief medical onboarding, chat with a doctor, and get FDA-approved erectile dysfunction medications delivered to your door in discreet, unmarked packaging. It doesn't doesn't say boner pills for Steve on the envelope. For a free online visit, go to getroman.com slash BYR. And you know, even if you don't need it, you uh, you know, you have some for uh, for later. We get money, you... For a party with your buddies. That's getroman.com slash BYR. Five. I miss Cyrus. All right, I thought I'd have a ton of ween to choose from, as I said in the intro, but everything is too weird and wacky with that band. Yep. Just nothing but slowed up and sped up, slowed down, sped up vocals. Uh, that's all going. We're weird. Ween is grunge's 10cc. More on 10cc later. As much as everyone loves them, I continue to be bored by Ween. Wrong. <laughs> Did you? They're too no, I mean, he's. It's not wrong that he's bored by them. I mean, he's being right. He's being honest about mm-hmm. that. Yeah. He's like, just dumb for being bored dumb. by them. I'm just dumb. Is right. it? I, I kind of like said dumb instead of yeah. Kind of like I'm dumb saying. for not digging Steely Dan. Is it Godwin Satan where they do kind of like a lot of Prince? 
princey stuff on there. Yeah, there's hold a little uh, Shockadelica. Gonna this, make you big. This part's coming in a second. Okay. I was just going to tell you you should listen to that one. Well, this part's coming okay, in a okay, second. Okay, okay, okay. They're too offbeat for me. They're uncompelling. They're, they're weird for weird sake. It's just not for me. But this song with my own bare hands sounds like a White Stripes song. It's the least weird song I could find. All right, I'll get off my soapbox. Or their irony's been blown up by ironic dynamite. Okay, I'll get off my soapbox and let everyone gush about Ween until the song is over, and then I'm cutting you off. No, I was just going to suggest you should listen to that album. You might like yeah. some Sounds stuff. Sounds great. On that. What was that album called? God, God, God Ween Satan. Satan. Oh, all first, right. uh, well, first one. I'll uh, listen to that album then. There's I'm a sure. lot of heartfelt yeah, it's Prince. Fat Lenny. It's oh, yeah. got you fucked up. Why should uh, I listen to that when I can listen to Prince? What? what? No, you, could, you ever listen you to the Prince? Listen to just one. I mean, you can Acolytes? listen to more than one. You, you ever? I don't know why, why you guys you are would, talking to me. You're the ones that all like Ween. You wouldn't listen no, to the Time either. But, but they're good. Prince improved JD, on the time. I think a, a good example for um, Irene I, Irene's uh, Wanic Dynamite mm -hmm. is "Can't Put My Finger on It." It was on uh, Pure Guava. And it was yeah, such a popular a song. Yeah. It ended up being used, I think, in like a Levi's commercial. Wait, what's it called? Listen to uh, it. Can't put my finger on it. Can't put my finger on it. I think I, heard, I listened to that, and it was it was too weird, too Pure, wacky. Pure Guava, they were rock, rocking pretty hard on that one. Well, that there. was that was they thought it was going to be their breakthrough it's album. That's the one that cheese. had Push Your Little uh, Daisy. Chocolate and Cheese. Oh, is it on Chocolate and yeah. Cheese? That's a great album. That is Buenos Tardes Amigo, one of my favorites. What is this this wacky filtered Can't put this, 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 this is this is weird and wacky. It's got a, uh, a weird percussion sound. It's the it's also the accent. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with JD. Okay. This is not right. one to pick. Well you guys know the uh, Pizza Hut where the cheese goes story, right? Uh no. I know it because can you play this last time. Can we you recorded. play that one? Um so Pizza Hut had this new pizza yeah, 30 seconds. called The Insider, where all the cheese was on the inside. What? So they got Ween to write a song for it, and the song you, went something you like... just tell this on the podcast the other day? No, no, no it, was it was afterwards. afterwards. Okay, because okay. you asked for a Ween song, and, oh, okay, I, and okay. I suggested yeah. this okay, song. Okay, yeah, so the there's a pizza with no cheese on it, and they wrote this, Where'd the cheese go? I don't know! And... It was so up. fucking good. It was an earworm. They loved it. Pizza Hut didn't like it. They said, we want you to rewrite it. So they rewrote it. Where'd the motherfucking cheese go Where'd at? Where'd the motherfucking <laughs> cheese go? I don't know. It was go at. <laughs> I don't know. And Pizza Hut dropped them and went with somebody else. And then uh, Dean, Dean Ween leaked it on his website and it became one of their biggest songs. It, 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 too ironic. Oh. Can't take anything seriously. Not even a big money contract with Pizza Hut. Hmm. It was a good. It would have sold. Any genre they it would have sold. It would have sold so much fucking pizza. Where'd that cheese go? I don't know. All right. Once this song kicks in, you're gonna ask yourself. Ironic comedy band. I thought 10CC was a serious classic rock band. Exactly. Well, <laughs> with such hits. As the things we do for love, and this song, I'm not in love. But make no, what was that? They were in Wacky Coconuts. Yeah. So not that serious. No, well, I'm saying this is people's impression of not, not like you guys. Oh. You're smart. You know what tends to tell about. Okay. I'm talking about our stupid audience that only knows about what we yeah. tell them about. Yeah, music. they're so dumb. They need us to tell oh, them. Oh, a podcast everything. about music. I've never, I've heard this music is something to listen to. Let me learn a couple. So. 10CC, they're a goofball band. They take irony and sonic experimentation to a level 
almost incomprehensible to the people of the early 70s. The closest parallel I can think of is Frank Zappa, but he never had a crossover hit like this. 10cc is like if you took the wacky stuff from the Beatles, the later albums, you know, and you just push the wacky even further. Number 10... Number 10, number 10. Yeah, it's push one further than yeah. number nine. You know, I didn't get I that joke went. until you said it out loud. Yeah. Thought I, Plus, thought I, I, I tend to skim. Yeah. It's one more, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Isn't it? Uh, their name's widely considered a joke. I feel like we've talked about that before. It's how much cum comes out of your dick. Yeah. Allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not at all. That was just, <laughs> We talked about this whack coconuts. I mean, that's what they say it was, but mm-hmm. that's not what it was at all. That's a way too much cum. Way too much. It's not medically possible. Well, maybe, uh, maybe you're maybe the one it's, with the problem. <laughs> maybe everybody over the night. Uh, maybe we it, should. That was in 10cc. Maybe, maybe that's should. what it is. Well, let's all stop. Well, mastur- 10ccs? Well, how much is 10ccs? That's. Well, I'll stop masturbating for a week, and then we'll get together. <laughs> not we'll gonna each, happen. We'll each come in a cup. Not gonna happen. We'll build up that load. Here's the thing about the thing about 10cc is. They're like half ironic because they have two of the guys who are very, who are like proggy bandy guys who write sort of. Uh, sort oh, you're of, thinking a cheap trick. No, they're, they're, <laughs> those are the two guys who are super handsome and the two guys who two are nerds. really nerdy. <laughs> and you wonder how they got together. Now, these guys are like, they have these Broadway, sen- there's two of them have like a super Broadway sensibility, which is what we're hearing here. Mm-hmm. And then. Two guys have like uh, well, their Broadway sensibility is also wacky too. But I'll talk about that in a minute. Oh no, it is. Yeah. They're the wacky ones. Oh okay, okay. They're the wacky ones. Right. But they they go from being wacky to being very sentimental, mm-hmm. and then sometimes, and then the the guys who are the rockers who can put together a good tune, they're able to kind of. They're not as wacky, mm-hmm. but sometimes it works. Who's are the wacky ones? Godfrey and Cream. Godly and Cream. Godly I think and cream, those yeah. are the. I, I'm, Pretty sure those are the uh, are the uh, Broadway wacky guys. Yeah, they go they go on to yeah. be wacky as a duo. Yeah, they're no peaches and her. They're not the like rockers that put together. See, the rockers they'll put together some wacky sounds. Uh, yeah, and they're able to put the, those wacky sounds together. Um, so the um, I'm not in love. This song is from the 1975 album called the original soundtrack. You see, it wasn't a soundtrack to anything. You get it. Yeah. Ah, and there, there's a lot of Broadway stuff on this. It's yeah. like it's two albums. It's, yeah, it's this, this is the second track on the album. The first is a nine-minute operetta with a with goofy voices called "One Night in Paris" slash uh, part two, the same night in Paris slash part three later that night in Paris. It's funny. It's a good album, though. I recommend listening to it. Um, it's like prog rock for people who spend all day making fun of prog rock. <laughs> I like to spend a nice day out in the sun making fun of Frog Rock. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Uh, yeah, Steve, you and I have both been to that party several times. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Hey, man, put on some Osric tentacles. <laughs> <laughs> I once walked in. I walked in on my college roommate doing two things. Shuffling to get rid of the Kleenex and lotion and jamming out... <laughs> To Dream Theater with his friend. Oh, oh man. They got a new album. They were jamming out. I don't know what was more embarrassing to watch. He into. said, please pull out the Kleenex lotion. <laughs> I was at uh, I was at a, a bar with a downloadable jukebox one night, and we were 
playing that game where we were trying to outdo each other with the worst possible songs we could put on. I put on Dream Theater, and it turns out our dear friend Dave Seeger is really into Dream Theater. It's a very epic sounding band. <laughs> yeah, and he was like jamming out and like doing the like the, the air guitar. It was never looked at him the same way. <laughs> oh. He's so handsome. 10CC's first single off this album was called Life is a Minister. Have you heard that song? Yeah, it's good, but it's called Life <laughs> it's, is a Minister. It's wacky. Yeah. That was a wacky but song. It, so they're like, that's our first sing- single. Why Life is a Minister. Yeah. Do, do they sing it in your Giorgio Moroder voice? or? Yeah, life is a Minister, pretty much. I don't know. But then this was their follow-up, and it was a big hit. Um, Giorgio Moroder's real voice wasn't all that different. <laughs> You hear goofball elements, you know? We're listening to one right now. Three goofballs, three times for goofball, for the goofball count. If you pay attention. Um, so it's a straightforward song, but critic Robert Christgau, 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 Christgau. <laughs> he wondered if uh, stretching a non-satirical love song over six minutes was supposed to be the joke, but the Billboard charts didn't think so. Nope. The Brain Trust of 10CC broke off formed Godly and Cream. We just talked about that which was exactly as wacky as 10cc and also wandered into a barrel of ironic dynamite every now and then like with a beautiful song with a captivating music video called cry and we'll talk about that next week goldman and stewart were the other were the two those were were the more serious did they have a solo or a a separate duo i don't think they they probably just stayed as 10cc He's the world's greatest parodist, parodist, arguably. There's a there's the Russian guy that makes all the lullabies about uh, sound like they're about borscht. <laughs> that guy's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we love Weird Al. Both his parents died of carbon monoxide poisoning at the same time several years ago, so he's also a sympathetic figure. And Steve lost Weird Al's autograph in a college backpack theft incident, so Steve is also a sympathetic figure. Yeah. That's correct, and they're roughly the same, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Yep. Same I, emotional I found Weird Al's autograph when I was cleaning out a, a dresser at my parents' house. Hmm. So I, I guess I'm the hero. <laughs> <laughs> I got Steve a, uh, a photo of Weird Al. He, yes, he did to replace the and one a, that I lost in a backpack. In a backpack, it oh. wasn't signed. Yeah, getting this. But signature. one day, one day, yeah, I job. sent Steve a photo of my autographed 1992 set list by Weird Al, along with a photo of my balls. Uh, I don't. I doesn't don't remember, remember the balls. Doesn't recall. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, oh. so any true Weird Al fan knows that aside from his parodies about food and television. Half his albums are originals, and they're mostly style parodies in that they're not direct parodies of a song, but try to capture the spirit of the genres or artists that that those songs are from. And uh, great art is created when the artist is forced to work within restraints. This is true with Weird Al. When he's forced to work in the confines of mimicking existing lyrical patterns and performances in his parodies, he leans... Oh, he leans... Oh, man. 
This is speak from the heart, JD. He does he does yeah. parodies. Yes. And he's constrained because he's got to copy a song. He's got some rules he got to stay in, in it, and it makes his work tight. <laughs> when he doesn't have the constraints of a parody as an original song, he's all over the place. It's usually not very funny. It kind of you see the true weirdo. A little too wacky and, and out of control. Yeah, like uh, you think about one more minute. Yeah, it's a great song, but it's Dumb joke. wacky on purpose. The creative cuffs are off. Uh, but this song is special. This is one of his originals. It's "Dog Eat Dog." It's a satire of '80s ladder climbing office life, and it's a style parody of the Talking Heads. Mostly the song "Once in a Lifetime." Yeah, this could, could have totally been "Once in a Lifeboat." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the ball on this. But he's like, ah, lifeboat's not food. It's not on TV. Uh, maybe I'll just do an original. Um, so he's re- and he's pretty restrained in his wackiness here. There's a few times his voice goes into like a winky, wacky flutter, like when he says '80s comedy words like stapler. But this song, it really only contains one pop culture reference to David Letterman and one brand name reference to Liquid Paper. But when you're taking inspiration from David Byrne and the Talking Heads, you can bring a little wackiness and still feel like you're singing a Talking Heads deep cut. And his commentary on office life is cogent. Uh, the laughs are few and far between. <laughs> it's yeah, not that it was, funny. No, I, was, I heard a funny line in there when he said, "This is not my beautiful chair." Yeah, yeah. I heard yeah that. but I mean, it's poignant. Like at the time, this what is this on polka party? Yeah. When this came out, this I mean, you had movies like uh, Secret of My Success mm. and Working Girl. Good and like, song. Yeah. It's yuppie uh, culture, 9 to yeah. 5. You know, all those um, and I know we talked about this on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame episode, but when Mark Mothersbaugh first heard Dare to be Stupid, he was beside himself. He was like, holy shit. This is We've never talked about that. I like that Dave's talking. He, not only did he shout out that he mentioned it, he's talking, he's telling the story with the same reverence and sense of discovery that he told last week. Yeah, and I'm off the book. <laughs> um, and he's told it like once or twice before. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you... It's um, kind of like his real life stories. Yeah, if you hang out with me, um, you'll notice that from time to time, I might repeat a story. And it's usually prefaced with... I don't know if I ever told you this or not, mm-hmm. but he's just angling for that Weird Al podcast he keeps talking about. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what is pretty great about Weird Al is, you know, I dig Junior. He's a cool mm-hmm. kid, uh, but I don't have anything to talk to an eight-year-old about until Weird Al. Mm-hmm. And when he got into Weird Al, I just lit up. I was like, yeah, and I brought over all my albums. Yeah, this is something we can, we can talk about. Uh, anyway people that actually did the music he was parodying look at it as oh my god this is better than we even did that's mark mothersbaugh's opinion not mine but. dare to be stupid is a wonderful song and it sounds like a devo song mm-hmm. it's too wet you know there's too many pop culture references it's all wacky goofadoodle stuff you know but it's still it's called dare to be stupid i yes, mean it presents yeah. it right. tells you what it's going to be but you're never going to listen to it and be like Oh, this isn't a comedy song. This song, like, Weird Al could have, like, worn a tight suit and, like, slicked his hair back and shaved off his mustache and mm-hmm. gone in front of a crowd on right. the Lower East Side during this era and played this song. In and an oversized suit. Guys. In an oversized suit. And he would have gotten, like, a like a 20-minute-long snapping ovation. Do they still do that? Fartsy Dare to be stupid can't be ironic dynamite because it's already a Partus song. Don't you remember? Yes, yes. Yeah. I'm sorry. 
<sighs> I keep a tight ship on my shows, boys. Good job, JD. I move, on, move on quickly. Yep. Got to get your thoughts in quickly. It's because you have the button. Yeah. I always have the button, and I, I, you guys just need to point at me. And, and I then you have move to on. hit the dead really? spot. Really? That's all it takes? Yep. The Fresh Prince is the O. Henry of 80s rap. His raps are not mere rhymes, no, they are stories steeped in such irony they would make a great failed attempt at a Twilight Zone script. I thought he was talking about the candy bar. I was going to say that. From girls, from girls Ain't Nothing But Trouble, where he goes on a date with a lady with a reputation for being easy, and then she forces herself onto him and calls rape. She robs him, and the cops beat him up. The irony! Never saw that coming. Then there's his ironic warning cry, and parents just don't understand, where he's taking the keys to his vacationing parents' Porsche, and as he's cruising for chicks, he picks up a girl only to have, almost, almost have sex with a 12-year-old. Yeah. Yeah, parents and that's... just don't understand. There's a lot to say about that, because you could have said 14-year-old runaway. Or fifteen-year-old mm-hmm. runaway. It didn't really fit the meter. Didn't fit the, the meter, line, though. Yeah, twelve, ten. It's got to be a single eight, syllable. Ten. Listen, a six-year-old runaway. Mm-hmm. Will Smith. He's 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 very particular about his raps, and, and, he's, and he's not going to settle his. He's he's not going to he's not going to uh, 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 throw away his artistic integrity to get off meter. Also, okay? he was probably seventeen or eighteen when that came out because that that song I think hit number one. A week before he graduated high school, he is—he's playing from a perspective of like a 16-year-old, mm. to be fair. But at the same time, what I'm, all I'm saying is, you never expected this beautiful girl that he picked up to be a 12-year-old runaway. Right. An ironic twist, the likes of which would make O. Henry jealous. For example, my wife and I have a Uh-oh. like a seven-year age discrepancy. Mm-hmm. So when I was 18, she would have been 11. Mm-hmm. Granted, we didn't meet until I was 30, Yeah. so it's a little different. Do you bring that up a lot? She does more than I do. Is she like, Dave, I don't know if I ever told you this, but we have a seven-year age difference. Um, it, it's usually music and television-based, like what we're uh, into. Okay, okay. And what we were into at what points. And the things, the different things that you're nostalgic for. Right, like she thinks Clueless is a good movie. <laughs> I think that's more of a girl thing. Yeah, my wife is three years older than me. Ten years older than your wife mm. loved Clueless. Yeah, I think that's really? a Clue's a girl thing, yeah. yeah, huh. yeah. All right, Teen Witch. <laughs> I think Teen Witch is of your wife's generation. Yeah. All but right. also, uh, former podcast guest Dave Holmes loves the movie. He's Which old- movie? Teen Witch? Teen Witch. He's older than us. Gay. Good point. The movie or Dave? Dave. Got it. I haven't seen the movie. Maybe we should move on. It's a good movie. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of teens. I like the a lot song. Of witches. The song I like boys. That's a jam. Top that. The rap. There's a good. There's a good I remember uh, there's a Mustang in there. An mm-hmm. '80s Mustang. Yeah. You know, if you ever want a location tour of that movie, it was mostly filmed in Glendale. I can hook you up, Hunter. Oh, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> All right. 
Now, if you're looking for that trademark Will Smith ironic twist in summertime, you're not going to find it here. Here, the prince tosses away, he tosses away that, that Humpty Dance-esque wacky lilt in his voice for a, a cool, berry white growl. The merry tricksters of rap. Because there's no Except irony right there. Yeah, that's a little wacky. But then, guess what? That's him going, you know, you know the, the uh, fresh you know prince me. you used to know? Say goodbye to him for this song. Well, yeah, and this song specifically, this is like, what, 91, 92? Mm. Yeah, it's about so, 92. Somewhere 92, yeah. This kind of seemed like he was actually trying to do a, a hip song without any kind of out any kind of jokey jokes yeah it's just a song about a nice summer day it's like ice cubes it's a good day without the implied violence and blatant misogyny yeah and in miami for some reason this one <laughs> yeah we get every day is summertime in miami. is this the one where he says uh <laughs> a1a like no that's, <laughs> that's, ice, that's baby. ice baby and not, it's not it's not miami by will smith Dave's oh i'm thinking of the song welcome to miami Dave is a lame rapperist. Like he's, he sort of has a prejudice thinking all lame rappers are the same person. Yeah, Vanilla Ice and Will Smith yeah. are kind of hand in hand in in my uh, in my boat. Rapping about Miami kind of sucks. Yeah, you know? yeah. Everything about Miami kind of sucks. Have you been? Yeah, yeah. I got some pictures of all the lame stuff. <laughs> Uh, little, stuff to take photos of. little Havana, fantastic. My in-laws live in Kendall. I took a picture of a guy uh, loudly on his cell phone in a lot of gold, wearing all white, hmm. picking his ear the entire time. Tell me about his <laughs> cologne game. It was, it was pretty strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the smell of gold, man. Yeah. Yeah, he look, kind of looked like Telly Savalas. Oh, cool. That's kind of a cool guy. Yeah, yeah. Fedora. No, 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 no. Huh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Just letting his, his dome sweat. Him. Yeah. It was just being him. Man, that city might be underwater in our lifetimes. Let's yeah. see how uh, things play out. I'll probably have some, some new house guests at that point. <laughs> they won't be guests at that point, Dave. Oh, boy. This was Prince and Jeff's only number one hit, boys. Though they did reach the top ten with Parents Just Don't Understand and Nightmare on My Street, which was a bigger hit than Parents Just Don't Understand. Yeah. It was like number five, number four or five. Yeah, it wasn't until Will Smith went solo he started uh, stacking up the number ones. This song, though, this song here, it made director Mark Rocco stand up and go, this Fresh Prince guy, he's just the guy to play Manny the Legless Cripple in my new film, Where the Day Takes You, with Sean Astin and Laura Flynn Boyle and Ricky Lake. Mm -hmm. And a very serious film legend was born. Yeah, didn't he do like Six Degrees of Separation shortly after that? Yeah, a couple of movies after that. Yeah, and then uh, Independence Day. Mm-hmm. A big action star. He was definitely the biggest movie star in the world for a while. Yeah. So dropping your irony sometimes pays. Yeah. Yeah. Quincy Jones comes along and say, "I'm going to make you a star. Stick with me. I can't do. I can't do the impression." Oh, I'm going to make you a star. Stick with me, Will Smith. Did he make Will Smith a star? Can what? Did Quincy Jones make Will Smith a star? Yeah, he was the one who's like, he should star in a sitcom. Let's oh. develop a project for him. Oh, that's right. He was a producer on that. Yeah. 
Uh, I got some uh, hot inside gossip. Oh, wait. Um, when um, uh, Cameron Crowe had written a story about Marvin Gaye, and they wanted uh, Will Smith to play it, but Will Smith declined, and it's kind of commonly thought that he was a little gun shy from the movie Ali, and he didn't want to didn't want to play a, a real person. He didn't want to play a gay. No, you're 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 confusing the name with Marvin Gaye. He didn't want to play Marvin Gaye. Yeah, well, it was Marvin Gaye's dad that was a little. But I don't know what you're talking about. I just he didn't want he didn't want after playing Ali, he didn't want to play gay. Sure. That's the way to say it. So he declined the role. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm done with this song, aren't I? Mm-hmm. I think we all are. The drum Number one. Such an appropriate number one bumper for a show about irony. It's it's a drummer bumper. One of the famous, most famous drummer joke movies of all time. This is Spinal Tap. Yeah. Is where the number one song is from. You know what's weird, though? They make that joke, but growing up, drummers don't last. Yeah, they really don't last. Well, I think that was the joke. But but I mean, yeah. But I I watched this movie before I was a fan yeah. of rock bands, yeah, and then yeah. their drummers just kept disappearing. Yeah, yeah. like Pearl Jam. Yep. Um, now, so many people watched Spinal Tap. So many musicians watched Spinal Tap, and said, "Wow, that hit a little too close to home." Like things like a guitar solo and the guy falls over backwards and a roadie lifts him up. Like the dudes from Quiet Riot were like, "Yeah, that hits a little close to home." It's uh, and this hits close to home too. This song because they're they're uh, they're a comedy band. You know, this is from that movie. This is Spinal Tap. It's a famous movie. Oh, came out in 1984. Uh, is a, a mockumentary. It was directed by Rob Reiner. Uh, and this this band, Spinal Tap, it's one of the rare comedy bands where you can listen to their music super loud with your windows rolled down and not feel too embarrassed. I've never been able to get Spinal Tap out of my head from Big Bottom to Sex Farm. This is just good rock and roll. Yeah. You know who else can't keep a drummer? Karate the band. It's true. Yeah. It's true. I just it happens all the time. Yeah. Is that it? We started calling it's our It's not really drummer. ironic. It's just just a true joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's drummer karate. Because what it that's what it says on the shirts now. <laughs> well, now we haven't played in two years, but But you ordered new shirts. Well, I, I submitted the design. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. It's what the shirts would say uh, were you to print another. Did I tell you about my new band? What? Guy in the Fieris. We're a ska band. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Not an ironic. <laughs> ugh. Yeah. And they, that is not an ironic band. Nope. <laughs> no. Oh my god, the last thing I want to see is Dave look, trying to look cool playing the bass in a ska band. But he's given an ironic name to to make it seem like he doesn't care. Oh. Yeah. Well, here, here, Matt. He's rubbing don't, his don't forehead. Worry about you it. can't see that at home. Don't worry about it because I'm not playing bass. I'm playing rhythm guitar. He's, Either way, you're going to be looking cool or trying to look cool. In the oh state. no, there is nothing cool about this. Oh wow. Spiked wigs and flame shirts. Anyway, no comment. I already, I already wrote our first name. Oh, okay, what is great. it called? 
Guy in the Fieris. No, the well, anthem. Your first anthem. We're going to sing it for us. I mean, I uh, you give want. us the title. You know you came up with the title first. Uh, actually, we don't have the title yet. Oh. But All right, well, let's come up with the title. Oh. It's uh, <laughs> like G-U-Y-F-I-E-R-I. And then repeat it over and over again. Get the crowd's fist pumping. How about we, and then the so horns come in? How about we? So it's like your theme song, like "Hey, hey, we're the monkeys. exactly." How about like, we like guys? You know, Queen had the. Yeah, this is our version of that. Very good. It should be called "Guys Theme" or "We Like Guys." We like guys. We like guys. Yeah, that's, that's my. That's we my, like guy. No guys, because you say it more than once. Guy jam. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Jamming with Guy. Fun facts or interpretations of this song. Let's see. Oh, wait, Steve, you, you have something to share? Yeah, because you, you, you had talked about how this was, like, just good rock. Uh, I actually learned how to play some Spinal Tap songs when I was taking guitar lessons back in the, whole, the high school days. Uh, the riffs were, you know, they were pretty good, and the solos were super easy, and, like, I could actually play them. And they're the kind of solos where you can tell that they know exactly what they should be doing if they had more technical ability to pull it off. Like, it's all in the right spots on the fretboard. Like CC DeVille-ism. Yeah. Mm. CC DeVille is better at faking Flash. Okay. Spinal Tab is just like, they don't, like, they just do stuff that doesn't barely even sound flashy. Yeah, they're, but, they're, they've taught actors to, to play a bit apart. Yeah. Or like I don't know, maybe if Chris maybe Christopher Guest really did have more technical ability than he showed, oh, but no, he just wasn't gonna use any of it because that was all part of the joke. No, he's actually a very accomplished guitar player. Okay, yeah, so that yeah, so he's then like, or now what you're hearing on then. Okay. So what you're hearing on now the record just is like dick. Sorry, Steve. Finish. Any other inside gossip? Not that I can tell. Ah, the classic ironic tension of smart comedy nerds trying to play dumb cool guys. Did just Spotify go? Is that the replacement? Thinking the replacements is an appropriate next song in this list. And uh, that speaks volumes. Yeah, yeah they of how good Spinal Tap is. A little bit is. of a joke, jokey punk band. <laughs> Um, anyway, these nerds and Spinal Tap are so smart, they can't not make an awesome rock and roll song. These are jokey lyrics, if you know the band to be a joke, like you're sweet, but you're just four feet, and you got your baby teeth, you're too young. I never knew those were the lyrics until I looked yeah. them up today. Oh, yeah. You're and too I'm too well hung. Yeah. You're too young, and I'm too well hung. So lyrics like those... <laughs> Yo, Ted Nugent fans are going to be standing up and cupping their ears for more of this Nugent-style stat track titillation. <laughs> but if you're in on the joke, it's a lot of fun. Well, it, it speaks volumes about like the other Chris, like uh, Mighty Wind, mm -hmm. and everything Christopher Guest did with that. Like those were kind of amazing songs. Because mm -hmm. he's a well-accomplished guitar player. Mm -hmm. Then Tal and now, talented guy. What didn't make the list, my friends? What did I miss? On my list of top ten ironic dynamite songs. Well, I'll go first. Uh, I pick Fat Boys Stick'em. Uh, I think the Fat Boys deserve to be on this list. They were a joke playing uh, comedic characters in Oscar-caliber movies about orderlies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> More like disorderlies, if you ask me. 
Those cut-ups. And also in uh, rap videos uh, about burnt to a crisp serial killers. Sure. Um, but early beatboxing fat boys had some chops, you know, before they were just a novelty boys who are fat, you know. Uh, Stick'em, I remember as a kid being pretty kick-ass, and it was, it was tough. I listened to it. It was a pretty good uh, yeah. rap song. Yeah, nice old were, school rap song. And it's tough. Mm-hmm. They were in that same scene with Cool Mo D and uh, Run DMC, if I recall. Wait, what? Def Jam. Yeah, mix it up. I what are stuff. you saying? Um, didn't Cool Mo D, like, what was the Crush Groove? Crush Groove, the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's where they sort of. I, I think you're thinking of LL Cool J. I'm not sure Cool Mo uh, Is Cool Mo D Cool Mo D's in it. A young, young LL Cool J is in that. But the fat I bet boys. neither of those guys are in it. No, for sure. No, for sure, LL is. I think Cool Mo D is as well. I could be wrong. Um, I feel bad for the fat the fat boy who isn't fat. There's one that's really not that fat, and he has to be in this band called the Fat Boys. Well, he was still like fatter than anyone at this table, and I really feel bad for the fat one. Well, that two guys died of a heart attack trying to crawl into a chair. Oh, yeah. Two guys weren't really that fat. They, I think, they had to get fatter. That's that was well. That's got, why they. Uh, that's did the that, unfortunate part of the that, Fat Boys. That video. You want to be in the Fat Boys? You got to gain some fucking weight, okay? You ain't fat. You ain't nothing. <laughs> Um, you remember the video uh, three ninety nine for all you can eat, where they just go to a buffet and just finish everything at the buffet. I feel like that was a scene in Disorderlies, or maybe not. No, it was a video that used to <laughs> play on Nick Rocks. <laughs> Steve, what, what, what? I miss Steve. All right, let's see if I understand this genre correctly. Okay, here he goes. So I'm going to nominate the Butthole Surfers and their first late-night Headbangers Ball MTV hit, Who Was In My Room Last Night. It's a good does that, song. Is that, does that count? Yeah. It's a good yeah. video. It does, okay. it does. It's a, it's a that rockin'. That video's wacky. Yeah, I rewatched it the other night. Yeah, it's it pretty like, good. It's like an acid trip. Yeah. We're, we're taken out of the context of the video, though. Have you ever taken acid? It's I have a, not. Okay. I play that song on Guitar Hero a lot. It's, uh, and, and it's, from, it's like a legit good guitar song. And it's on an album called Yet Yet. It's on an album called Chewing George Lucas's Chocolate. Or no, there's another <laughs> song on the album. Yeah, called the, yeah. The George album Lucas's is Independent Chocolate. Worm Saloon. Yeah, yeah. But it, yeah, yeah, like it sounds like they're trying to cash in on the uh, Gibby Haynes just having sung on Jesus Built My Hot Rod mm-hmm. not too long before that. Yeah. Uh, and then I also wanted because I mentioned him earlier. What about Electric Six? Do they, like, is everything too wacky for them? Because it clearly rocks. Hey, we talked about that a little, and I, you know, the beards and the darkness kind of took their slot. Okay. Like, okay. Even like the con- the electric or the 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 flight of the Concord sort of like that fashion song they did. If I were to pick the best ironic dynamite song on Electric Six's first album, it would be Vengeance and Fashion. Pretty straightforward, cool rock song. Dude, we already have a fashion song with Countdown. I was trying to do variety. Yeah, you got to keep it. You did a good job. Okay, uh, so I think I understand the genre. Yes, you do. Okay, yeah. good. I kind of want to bring up the Beastie Boys. because they, they like the Fat Boys, part of that early rap scene where it was coming from sort of disco and not taken fully seriously. In the right, Beastie because they were, they were a punk band, and then they decided to do rap, and they weren't... They weren't serious about it. Like, their songs like Paul Revere or Hey Ladies, mm-hmm. those were joke songs. We, 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 they were just having fun. Yeah. Because it was came out of disco. Fight like, for your right to party. Yeah. Yeah, and that was the protest song of my generation. Protest song. But I would say that they you, they still had they still had cool cred. That's why I would pick DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. I mean, Fat Boys would have been a good choice, but there's just... I feel like the the... 
ironic to unironic ratio is stronger with DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince's usual fare in summertime. Right. Well, in that case, I would go with uh, Karate the Band. I also, but like, if you were to, if we were to talk about the Beastie Boys, I would have played something more like Bodhisattva Vow, like that whatever that song is called, where it, let's just add no. Uh, add, are, you, are you are you talking about what was on um, Hippie Hop? Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, what's it? It's uh, what are MCA. they? MCA. MCA, just like mumbling about some Buddhist crap. Yeah, yeah. Free Tibet. Yeah, this, yeah. yeah. This is our Free Tibet era. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, okay. Good show, guys. Thanks for thanks for letting me talk about yeah. my genre. Should we be listening to music for the outro? This seems weird to be talking without without music playing. I don't think they have. It. I don't think they have Stick'em on there. Our next podcast, they do have Stick'em on here. Oh, that's a good song. Our next podcast is going to be hard news, so we're just getting used to it. Mm-hmm. Hard news. Hard news with the Yacht Rock guys. President Trump today submitted his his questions to Mueller. Second round of questions to get Oh, I hate that Trump. That he was, was then he was then told that he was supposed to answer the questions, not submit them. Steve, you're fired. This is not an opinion show. It's hard news. It's only news. Oh, I'm gonna have to go do my own opinion podcast by myself. Oh. There's a lot of great future in store for us. <laughs> Our fan, you lovely no. people. Hey, uh, JD, if I can go back at the beginning, I think that was one of the most concise uh, intros you've done. Thank you, you so much. The was, intro intro, not yeah. the explanation. You know, it was, yeah. it was, you uh, really, thank you so much, guys. You really uh, kind of nailed yeah, it. You did a good job on that it's intro, been a, JD. It's been a pleasure working I, with you. Yeah. I was, um, it was a good job for your last uh, show. You did I was, uh, it was two paragraphs long. I think mm-hmm. I read it in a clear voice. I'm stalling now because I'm trying to look up the email of the fellow who did the bumpers. Mm. Oh, well, maybe we should talk instead of you, and you could look it up. Well, my computer is very slow. I have upgraded my old computer to Mojave, Ooh. and it's... Uh, Do you have that, that fun, that fun uh, screensaver that's like the nighttime or the daytime version? Yeah. It's a, I mean, a I've been in fun. the night. Yeah. You guys know a lot about technology. Sure do. Thinking about taking sure this into the do. shop, maybe maybe giving it to, to Hunter. He likes these things. Putting uh, more RAM in there. Oh. Random access memories. JD, I can do better than that. I'm going to put some eight, eight RAM in there, a solid state hard drive yep. as well. Mm-hmm. Like a 500 gig baby. Oh my gosh, this thing is going to be purring like a kitten. Wow. Those uh, were all Daft Punk albums right there. You see, <laughs> I, as much as I like your computer purring like a kitten, I like my computer running like a laptop. <laughs> and that's kind of what I've done with mine. That's I, what you've done with yours? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, this guy knows the stuff about computers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and by that, I mean I just went out and bought a new computer. <clears throat> See, I, right. I, don't, I, I don't have a lot of money because... You should get some. It's great. <laughs> I, have, I have enough money, but I'd like to save it for more important things like children's things. Okay. Oh. Uh, these bumpers today, the mystery bumpers that we were so curious about, written in by Grant Prusy. Prusy. P-R-U-S-I. Hey, guys. Thanks for the wonderful show. I'm sorry to hear the podcast is coming to an end, and I wish you luck on your next endeavor. If you're still in need of bumpers for the final episode, please consider mine. I wrote them pitching, picturing an incredibly long prog rock song that's playing live in tandem with an episode of your show. Well, hmm. and the it bumpers... got kind of dark at the end, I think. Yeah. What is that how our Cyrus? show goes? Do we start getting darker? The longer we go, yeah, we're just huh. like, like the excitement of not seeing each other for a week or two, like wears sort of off. wears off. <laughs> I kind of want to go like, to bed usually. Uh, get past eleven, I want to go to bed. 
Uh, and he says the, the bumpers are just snippets of the song as it plays out in real time. This is that's a cool concept. If you play them, great. If not, well, I had fun recording them, and I hope you enjoy hearing them. Don't have much to plug, but you can mention my SoundCloud if you like. HTTPS colon backslash backslash soundcloud.com backslash G-D-P-R-U-S-I. Goddamn Prusy. Wow. <clears throat> Steve, thanks pretty, again to keep the fire, Grant. It was a pretty good Uriah Heap song that I was listening to in those bumpers, I think. Yeah. Turns out we did play them. Look at us. Steve, if you want to get out some of that darkness and yell at Dave and I for interrupting you while you're talking about Christopher Gus, you can you can That's yell fine. at us right That's, now. I, I feel like I made the point. We're used to being interrupted by now, and I'm not. I never am. You fuckers. Find this week's Yacht Rock playlist by following J.D. Rizdar on Spotify. Go to YachtRock.com for a very useful experience. Send questions via Twitter at Yacht Rock. Like Yacht Rock on Facebook. Follow Beyond Yacht Rock on Instagram. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Themes by Rob Crow and Mark Rivers. Thanks to producer Matt Brusso. It's a good show.